folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse, chapter 15 is on the docket today, cruising along here, probably two-thirds done with the book, I guess you could say. Um, Chapter 15, so just quick recap, we've had uh, the unholy trinity, right, we kind of had some of that, chapter 12, chapter 13, what's the unholy trinity? Well, the unholy trinity, dragon, beast, and beast, and also has its own kind of divine service. And yet last time, chapter 14, we took a look at the fact that meanwhile, while that unholy trinity is doing what it's doing, there is the holy trinity with the divine service of the holy trinity going on uh, at the same time. And what does that look like? Well, that was last time, chapter 14. There's a little bit more of that here in chapter 15. But chapter 15 does kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of an odd chapter if you ask me, sort of a sort of a twofold thing going on. On the one hand, we're going to see uh, a very a little, a little bit more about what's going on uh, in this divine service of the Holy Trinity, but at the same time, it's going to introduce the seven bulls of God's wrath that come in chapter 16. So it kind of does two of a, I don't know, a, sort of a twofold a two-stage kind of chapter here. See what you think as I read. It's shorter, relatively shorter. Uh, so let's tackle it, and uh, and we'll go from there. So the check text of uh, Revelation 15 reads as follows. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Alrighty. So there we have the text of Revelation chapter 15. Like I said, this first part, we've got water. We've got this kind of exodus, a very baptismal thing going on. I'll unpack that as we go. But then also this, wait, we have seven bulls coming? And yes, that's right, chapter 16. Okay, so first things first, John sees another sign. Um, we've had this language of sign before, chapter 12. This I see a sign in heaven, woman clothed with the sun and the crowns and so on. Um, the sign also for the dragon, come to think of it. Uh, so you have these signs. Well, so also here, I saw another sign in heaven. 
great and marvelous. And uh, I think this marvelous lingo, lingo is already kind of queuing us up to a new kind of exodus. So this language of marvelous occurs only here in chapter 15, but it's also in the Song of the Sea, Exodus chapter 15. And there are several parallels between what happens here and also the Song of the Sea. So think exodus, think deliverance through water. So I saw another sign, great and, uh, and marvelous, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Okay, so we are first introduced to these seven angels. Now, I've talked about this a little bit before, but maybe it's time to review or we'll do this again. And that is the seven angels only appear in the book of Revelation for the septenaries, these groups of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bulls. These seven angels I take to be a very ministerial group. These seven angels are preaching their proclaiming they're doing things that are in the stead and by the command of the son of man they even look like the son of man at times they sound like the son of man and so this is a very ministerial group and that's i think also why there are seven seven as this what lucky number right no the number of vegas um seven as a complete it's representative these angels are representative of something that's why we have this seven i think uh, and so we have this kind of ministerial group. What happens through these seven angels? Well, um, seven plagues. So something is happening as these angels stand in the stead and by the command of the Son of Man. Plagues, which I take to be uh, what happens as the word, as the divine service goes forth. What happens? Well, we're going to see, we're going to study the seven bulls next time but what happens well we've already seen some of this as the trumpets go as the seals are are opened up things happen spiritual judgments like for example um the locusts chasing after idolatrous glory it will bite you it will sting you it will devour you and so this is the kind of stuff that happens they have seven plagues because there are plagues that go forth as the word is preached and taught the law of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll pierce the division between joint and marrow. It'll cut you up. It'll hurt. It'll sting. And these plagues are representative. Seven plagues, it is complete and total. The word doesn't leave anything untouched. It accomplishes all the purposes for which our Lord sends it. This plague, by the way, is also the same word that's used for uh, the, the, uh, the mortal wound. And I saw a dragon, it appeared to have a mortal, or the beast, it looked like it had a mortal wound, but the wound was healed. The wound, the word that's used there, it's clear in Greek, but it wouldn't come through in English. The word is plague. It's the, the plague of death or the wound. We translate it, what, mortal wound? Um, the word that's used there is plague. And so there is this kind of, as the word goes forth, as the divine service goes forth, there's this complete uh, putting to death of the father of lies, the, uh, the ways of the unholy trinity, and so on. Okay, so seven angels, seven plagues, which are the last. Um, boy, it sounds like Christ. I'm the first and the last. For with them the wrath of God is tetelestai, is totally completed. Um, I take that to be not so much like 
serial, as in one thing after after another. This is like when it says, "With them, the wrath of God is finished." I think we're going to have another. What? This is the last group of seven in the book of Revelation. Uh, not so much that, well, you have to do all the seals first, and then the trumpets, and then the bulls, like one thing after another. All the sevens kind of go together. They're cyclical, and they beg for association. I think they, they're they talking about one reality, one eternal reality, and they're showing it from different perspectives. And they are mutually informing. One help us, helps us understand this, the others. And so these seven, we'll get ahead of ourselves a little bit, but the seven bulls in chapter 16 will help us understand the previous sevens. I'll say more about that later. And I saw, okay, so we're introduced first to these, this ministerial group is about to do what it's about to do. But I love how Revelation emphasizes the fact that the point is salvation, that God takes no pleasure in just dumping plagues on people. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but wants that uh, that the wicked would turn from his ways and live. Ezekiel 33 and so on. The, I, the Lord takes no pleasure. He's not a capricious deity who just likes causes suffering, likes to cause suffering and so on. The point is salvation. And that's always emphasized in the book of Revelation, this kind of, yeah, there's a lake of fire, but hey, book of life, you know, this kind of the emphasis is on the Lord desiring all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so even though we're introduced to these seven angels and seven plagues in in verse one, we immediately go to what's happening in the, how can I avoid these plagues? What's happening in the midst of this before this goes down? Well, John sees what appears to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of gods in their hand. This is meanwhile, while this is going down, uh, this is available. This, uh, baptismal boy, it sounds like, uh, we're kind of like song of Moses all over again, but a very heavenly version of that. Um, the sea, remember this is, this is in the divine throne room. The spirits hanging around with the water mixed with fire. The spirits with the water. The spirits with the fire. Um, the spirit is described in fiery ways in chapter 4. So all this is very Trinitarian language. The one conquering, Jesus is the conqueror, but we, we he's the Nike. But we Nike in in him. So Nike, the word in Greek for conquering conquering over the beast and its image and the number of its name. Again, why three things? I think this is this holy trinity conquering the unholy trinity. Um, and those are standing upon the sea, which is kind of interesting because that's where the dragon, he stood by the sea. Um, we're standing upon the sea. This, by the way, is the same language of Jesus walking upon the sea which is what's available to us. We, the sea of chaos, the sea of death and destruction, the anti-baptism of the dragon, we walk upon that with our Lord. That is, Peter walks out until he starts getting scared and looks and focuses, takes his eyes off Jesus. Then he sinks. Can't do it himself. But let us keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, and we're walking on this thing as well. Okay, so they're standing upon the sea, um, the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Again, the harps we saw just last chapter 
it's the 144 singing the new song and the harps, this kind of only available this new song is by means of the Spirit who calls us by the gospel, enlightens with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith. Um, that gives us this new life. That gives us resurrected life. That's the language of standing. In the book, I mean, the lamb who is slain is still standing. So there's death there, but at the same time standing, this language of resurrection. So also these people, um, they're standing. This is this resurrected life. I love, by the way, that, again, the language of beast conquering and overcoming this Nikeing. The beast is overcome at the sea, at the waters. Pharaoh and all his hosts, right, they're drowned in the sea. And so that's the victory. How do you overcome? It's rooted in very tangible ways, tangible elements. It's in the water. It's at the sea. If you want victory right here, and I love Revelation because that's available to you right here, right now. Victory over the beast and its image and its number and ways and so on is available at the sea. That's why I take this to be a very baptismal uh, reality here. Before we get these seven plagues, Let's talk about baptism. Baptism first, then the plagues. The point is salvation. Okay? And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of... More singing, by the way. The word comes first, chapter 14, and then singing. Our Lord speaks and we respond. We say the same thing. Homologeo, the fancy Greek word for what it means to confess. We speak the same, same speak. Um, he speaks and we respond. And so they're singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I love this both. And the song of Moses brings us to my, okay, we're, there's some sort of exodus going on here. The song of Moses, I love this. Uh, and yet at the same time, we have this song of the Lamb. And so we have this like new Moses, new exodus, song of the Lamb, both Old Testament, New Testament, this also means that that old song of Moses and the Exodus helps us understand this Exodus, what's going on there. The death uh, of our foes at the sea, the victory we have at the sea, and the fact that it's because of the Lamb that we have this victory at the sea. The Lamb who uh, took upon himself the flood of this world's sins so that we could have righteousness in the in the waters that he gives us in holy baptism. Very rich stuff. We're going to have to take a break here, but then we'll pick it up with uh, what they're saying, what they're singing, rather, uh, in just a moment. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, 
I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 15. We just have our got our toes wet, uh, pun intended, standing uh, beside the sea, literally upon the sea. In the Greek, we have it, what? In the English, we have beside the sea. In the Greek, upon the sea, the same language of walking on water. I think that's intentional. They sing the song of Moses, the song of servant, uh, the song of the lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works. Um, the idea, I know your, the, the language of uh, chapters 2 and 3, the churches, the seven churches, I know your deeds, I know your works. Um, in fact, it only occurs, this language, I'm just really curious about this language of your works and your deeds. So far as I know, it only occurs in chapter 2, verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works. Um, it's divine stuff. Great and marvelous are your deeds. So they sing about what the Lord has done for them. O Lord God, the Almighty... Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is a really fascinating little couple verses of what they're actually saying. So they're praising, first things first is what has been done for them. You could just sing there, oh, heaven is so beautiful, or something like that. They're singing about what has been done for them at this sea. The same thing that the church does in all times and places in the divine service, okay? Great and marvelous are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true your ways. O King, one thing, another thing that happens here is that there's an emphasis on the nations, which is kind of fascinating because if you think old school Song of Moses, the exodus that's going on there, um, the Song of the Sea there in Exodus 15 emphasizes the deliverance that they've been saved. Uh, this one kind of not so much deliverance, but the fact of um, conversion, the fact of uh, the nations, O king of the nations, all nations will come and worship you. Do you get a little bit of this in the sea? The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Uh, now are the leaders of Moab, you know, distressed and so on in Exodus 15. But this... There's some sort of connection here between the witnessing factor that uh, all nations will come and worship you. This is essential to what mission is all about. This baptismal saving is central to um, the conversion of the nations. Its effect it will have an effect on others. Word and sacrament are the means uh, through which the Holy Spirit works to bring about this conversion. So if you're wondering, you know, what's really going to happen, do what has uh, been given to you to do, and that is baptize the babies, give out the body and blood, uh, the pastors give out the body and blood, you know. 
uh, laity, what's been given to you, receive that. This, these are the things that are central to what witnessing is all about. The nations will come and worship you. I also love this uh, language of your righteous acts have been revealed primarily in the Son of Man, and yet by extension by these seven angels who preach and teach and anybody who stands in the stead and by the command, who's baptizing and giving out the sacrament and so on. Uh, this has been revealed. This is the work of the Lamb right now. The song of the Lamb and of Moses continues on right now in the divine service. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. Okay, first things first. Opened up the, literally the temple of the tent, the skene, the tent, who is Christ. I mean, Christ is that tabernacle of God in the flesh. The temple was open. This sounds a lot like back in chapter 7, or sorry, 11. At the end of chapter 11, you have this temple opening up. When the temple's opening up, Again, that's the thing about Revelation. There is no temple. The temple is God himself. And yet the references to the temple earlier in the book I take to be, uh, again, connected to the life of the church. Here we have this, okay, the sanctuary is in heaven, we're told. And yet out of it come these seven angels. Um, and one of the four living creatures gives to the seven angels seven gold, uh, golden bulls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. There is this like heaven and earth connection and again, this temple language I take to be something that kind of grounds it or makes it um, tangible in a way. Again, later on, Revelation, hey, there is no temple. And yet here's this temple of the tent of witness that occurs only here um, in heaven. And coming out of it are these this very ministerial group. So I think there's kind of a blending of heaven and earth right here. I think... The four living creatures stand for the whole created order. They're the ones that pray, come, and then the the horse comes in Revelation 6, and they pray, come, like the Advent colic, stir up, O Lord, your power, and come. Um, I take them as that's the created order praying for this to happen. Here there is this connection, this, this uh, one of the four living creatures gives. Now, why does this have to come from somebody grounded on earth? Well, there is this kind of heaven-meeting-earth thing going on here. Um, these bowls full of the wrath of God, I take to represent um, the prayers, for example, of the church. We saw this earlier in the book of Revelation. The bowls full of golden incense, those are the prayers of the saints. Um, the bowls themselves kind of worth thinking about because the bowls... Um, are, well, they're mentioned in chapter 5. The bulls themselves are a liturgical vessel. They're in the tabernacle. They're in the temple. So why are we dealing with something that's tangibly liturgical? It's to ground this reality that is to come in these seven bulls of God's wrath in chapter 16. This priestly group, oh, I missed it. By the way, they're clothed in what? Bright linen, golden sashes around their chest. All this language is straight out of Exodus 28. They have this belt, this golden belt around their chest. This is how the priests are in chapter 28. So these are the very priests. They look like pastors. These seven angels come out of this, this temple of heaven. So they're in the stead and by the command of the, of the tabernacle in the flesh. You might want to look at it that way. 
this tent of heaven, even though there's a tent, a skene on earth dwelling among us in Christ, the place where the woman is to be nourished among us in the wilderness of this world, this tent. So there's this blending of heaven and earth. And, um, and this very pastoral group receives from the church, the prayers receives from the church, uh, the intercessions and so on, the bulls full of the wrath of God, um, who lives forever and ever. The sanctuary was filled with the smoke from God, uh, from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven bulls of the seven angels were, were finished. This last thing, this, no one could enter the sanctuary. Sounds like Moses again. Sounds like Isaiah too. I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the whole temple was filled with his glory. So we have this, the smoke that's full. Moses can't go into the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus because of the glory of God. Um, well, that glory is Christ. No one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Um, no one could enjoy what Revelation will depict at the end until this goes forth. The Lord will carry forward his divine service, the preaching, the teaching, the administration of the sacraments, his harvest. His harvest will go forth, and no one will be able to circumvent that or, or kind of skirt around that. No one can enter in uh, to his temple, who is Christ, until all the ransom numbered, as the hymn puts it, fall down before his throne, ascribing power and might and glory to God alone. Fascinating stuff. We'll see more how this unfolds uh, as we move along, but I think we'll we'll call it there. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Uh, fascinating stuff, and I hope that you can uh, spread the word to family and friends so that they, they, too, can learn more about God's word with us. We'll pick it up next time with chapter 16. Continue on with this theme of as the divine service goes forth. What does that look like? The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.